I'm on, I'm off. There we go. Um, yeah, so we're going to be carrying on our value series, which is awesome, and preaching in tandem, which is just such a delight, and you guys are awesome. Uh, yeah, let me not say any more and just pray. Cool. Thank you, Father, for Johannes and Ali. Thank you, Jesus, for faithful servants of yours who have journeyed, who lead faithfully as elder and wife. And thank you, Jesus, that you are present here as they preach your word. Come and, um, yeah, speak through them this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Bates. Yeah, so as Bates said, Ali and I are going to collab this morning. Um, so Ali hasn't been well for the last 36 hours. Um, so she's pushing through and, um, yeah, uh, wonderful. So, yeah, welcome to all of you. Sounding a bit echoey there, but I'm sure that uh, Zach's going to get it sorted out soon. No pressure. To all the F1 fans, I hope you had a really good race this morning. I hope you enjoyed it. And to those of you who uh, were here serving this morning and sacrificed your F1, I won't give you any spoilers. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was a pretty good race. What do you say, Jono? So-so. So-so. Um, all right, so as Bates said, I'm going to be carrying on um, preaching in our Vision and Value series, or Ali and I, this morning. Um, Ali's going to be uh, bringing some application to it. Um, and we are preaching on um, the one hope value of being warm and welcoming. Um, so I'm sure you guys can identify, but um, I find myself sometimes in these circumstances when I go to a place where um, there's a lot of strangers that so might be you know, in the work context like a conference or maybe even a church like the advanced conference, um, and you arrive there and you walk into a room and it's pretty much full of strangers, and as you walk in, everybody's in their little groups and little conversations. Um, so there's kind, of like, there's kind of like two options for me. Um, the one option is like you can pluck up your courage and you can scan the room and you find a likely little group of people and you sort of sidle up to them and you go and introduce yourself. Um, but then you've got the fear that they might kind of look up for their conversation and like acknowledge you and then carry on with their conversation and then you kind of standing on the edge feeling like a bit of a spare part. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure most of you, unless you're extreme uh, extroverts, can identify with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and, and I do find those situations quite emotionally exhausting. Um, so today, as I preach on being warm and welcoming, um, I'm not going to preach a complete theology on being warm and welcoming, but I'm rather going to come at it from one specific angle, um, and I'm going to be preaching from uh, using 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and chapter 13, the latter part of chapter 12 and 13 as the text. Um, so before we get into um, the text, I just want to give a little bit of a background on the book of Corinthians. So the book of Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, it was written to the church in a town in a second missionary journey. Um, and after he planted the church, he spent about a year and a half in Corinth um, just building the church, uh, teaching the church, uh, and growing the church. And then after Paul left, uh, there was a Greek believer by the name of Apollos who came in, and then he was one of the leaders in the church. So the book of Corinthians was written a couple of years after uh, Paul had spent the year and a half at Corinth. Um, and there are, I guess, two key reasons why Paul wrote the book of Corinthians. The one was that he got quite a few reports that there were difficulties in the church and there were some struggles in the church. So he had heard of reports of disunity in the church and sexual immorality in the church, uh, one or two other things. So part of the letter was to address these struggles that he, that he uh, had heard in, in the church. Um, and then the Corinthians had also written Paul a letter 
and in that letter, they had asked him a couple of questions. They'd asked him questions uh, about marriage, about feet, uh, eating food, sacrificed to idols, um, and about spiritual gifts. So Paul also wrote the letter to address some of these issues um, in the Corinthian church. Um, so we're going to read now from 1 Corinthians. Um, we're going to read three little sections. Uh, chapter 12, verse 12 to 13, and then verse 18 to 27. And then we're going to read a short section from chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Um, it's quite a chunk of scripture, um, so bear with me. But, um, yeah, one of our values, as you know, in One Hope is, is that the Bible and God's Word, uh, that we stand on the Bible. So we really want to, as we preach, uh, be faithful to the text and get into the text. So it will be up on the screen, I believe. Great. Um, or you can follow on your cell phones or on your Bible as you prefer. So let's read this together. Okay, from verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And then from verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should, be, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. And then from chapter 13, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not honor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. So in this text, we see the Apostle Paul um, using the analogy of a body to describe the local church. And in that analogy, all the different people in the church, in the same way that we today here on One Hope are in a local church, um, that each one of us in this room, um, with all of our differences, represents the different parts of the body. 
So that's the analogy that Paul's used to describe um, the church, the local church. Um, but what we see, just in terms of the context that, that uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to, to the Corinthians here, there was a lot of disunity um, in the Corinthian church. Not just disunity, there was a lot of differences and diversity, but also disunity. Um, so in chapter 1, uh, we see differences and, um, and, and disunity in, in who they were following. So we see that some of the uh, church were following uh, Apollos, some of them were following the Apostle Paul, and some of them were following the Apostle Peter. Um, and that created some friction. Uh, we see in chapter 6 that some of the believers were taking each other to court in civil disputes. And then in chapter 11, uh, we see differences with wealthy believers and poor believers in the church. Um, and believe it or not, it sounds crazy, but when they were having communion, the wealthy believers in the church were actually feasting uh, in communion and gorging themselves, and the poor believers were hungry. Um, so we see those differences in the church between rich and poor. And then in chapter 12, we see differences uh, both in ethnicity and in social status. So in chapter 12, we see that in the church there were Jews and there were Greeks and there were slaves and there were free people. Um, and then also um, in chapter 12 and also, chap well, in chapter 11 and 12, but from our text in ch chapter 12, we see that there were differences in spiritual gifts uh, among the church members. Um, and it seems that that was also causing some friction in some instances. Um, maybe there were some believers who had pride in their gifts and, and uh, valued some gifts above others. Um, so as we see throughout the book of Corinthians, a lot of diversity and a lot of disunity. Um, but what we see from this text is that the problem um, in the church was not diversity. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the disunity. Um, and we see this clearly in, in chapter 12, verse 18, where uh, the Apostle Paul says that God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted it to be. So we see that the, the, the diversity in the church, that is God-ordained, and we see that God um, values and loves diversity in the church. So God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Um, now, I wanted to just... Um, focus in a little bit um, on some of this, these differences in the Corinthian church, because they really were quite significant. Um, you know, as we said before, before, there's this difference in ethnicity between Jews and Greeks. And in the culture of the day, that was really significant. The, the Jews and the Greeks in the culture of the day were like oil and water. They didn't mix at all. Um, and they only really commonly would mix if they were forced to by circumstance. So it was really significant in the church to have Jews and Greeks together in one church all mixing together. Uh, that was really countercultural. And likewise, if we see with uh, free people and slaves, um, in many respects they were often on opposite ends of the social spectrum. So really um, very significant differences. Um, even, if we, even if we look at the spiritual gifts, uh, we see very different spiritual gifts in the church. We see... There's gifts of apostleships, of prophecy, of teaching, miracles, healing, helping, guidance in tongues. So we see huge diversity, but the one thing that unites everyone in the church is their um, faith in Jesus. Um, that's, that's the uniting factor. Um, so when we look at Paul speaking to the Corinthians and addressing this disunity in the church... Um, 
I think for me, Paul's response to the disunity in the church is really beautifully encapsulated in chapter 12, verse 22 to 25. And I want to take this little section um, as the key scripture for today's preach. So I'm just going to read this, this short little section, which I think really beautifully encapsulates Paul's response to this disunity. So from verse 23, the apostle Paul says, And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. So, in dealing with this diversity, um, we see Paul commanding the Corinthian church to give special honor to those members in the church who are weaker, and those members in the church that they think are less honorable. So Paul's commanding them, give special honor to these people. Um, and then this sentence to me is just really, um, this is so key and, and so beautifully put. Uh, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, in light of the disunity, he says, everybody in the body should have equal concern for one another. So a really powerful and beautiful command there from the Apostle Paul. Everyone in the body should have equal concern from one another. And then as we move to the end of chapter 12 and chapter 13, Um, Paul addresses why the church should be united, and then he gives some practical guidance as to how the church can be united. So if we look at why the church um, should be united, uh, if we look in chapter 12, verse 27, um, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you are part of it. So we are united because we are the body of Christ. So when we come to faith, when we accept that Jesus is the Son of God, when we accept um, Jesus' death on the cross for us and the free gift of salvation where his blood cleanses us from all sins, when we do that, we then become part of the body of Christ. Um, The other word that's often used is is the family of Christ. We all become part of one family. Um, And that's, that's... why we should be united, because as Christians, we are part of the spiritual family, this body of fellow Christians. Um, and, you know, to me, this often really stands out in a very practical way. Um, I don't know if you've had the, um, if it's happened to you, where you may be in a foreign country, and you meet somebody else who maybe doesn't even speak English, or somebody really different to you, but you just have this inner sense that they're a believer, I don't know if you ever have that sense. You meet someone and you just have this inner sense that they're a believer. So there's, like a, there's a true spiritual bond between us when we become part of the family of God. Um, and it's something which, which to me often is really tangible. So this thing of being in one family, in one spiritual family, is a really powerful thing. Uh, and in many senses, we are as much family even as a biological family. In fact, sometimes even more so. Um, it's, it's a powerful thing that we are united in this family. Um, well, there was no chapters when he wrote it, but that he introduces this section. Um, Paul introduces it and says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Um, so this is now the most excellent way to some practical guidance as to how it is that we live out this unity. And then just a few further verses on, he goes, uh, he, he, he goes on and he gives this practical guidance of how we live out this unity. 
And I'm just going to read that section again from chapter 13, verse 4 to verse 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So what incredibly powerful words. And in, in that, I mean, effectively, how we live out this unity is through the sermon you might be asking, well, what does all this have to do with being warm and welcoming? Um, but I think for me, as, as I think about being warm and welcoming, when a stranger in One Hope comes into our midst um, on a Sunday or in any one of our church events, um, the first step for us is to show this love to the stranger as they come into our midst, to show this being warm and welcoming. But what's important to me is it doesn't end there. So being warm and welcoming is not just about three minutes on a Sunday going to talk to somebody you've never met and, and you know, smiling and being friendly for three minutes. It goes far beyond that because what's the end goal? I mean, the end goal for somebody often, more often than not visiting One Hope, would be that they are often looking for a church family to become part of. So they're looking for a, a, a local church where they can be known, where they can be loved, and where they can become part of. And for us, welcoming them into the church it's not just about those three minutes when they come to church. It's about the hope of them becoming part of our local church family. So it goes beyond that welcoming to building that longer-term relationship and, and hopefully then you know, having this, um, yeah, this, this, this real relationship that we build. So that, that's the end goal that we want, is for those people to come in and to be known and loved by us uh, and to be part of the community. So... You know, as I read this text, um, I'm reminded that for us as One Hope, um, I think in so many ways, and if I look at myself personally, um, and for us as a church, I think in many ways we are very much like the Corinthian church. Um, So if we look at our church, we also, like the Corinthian church, there's a lot of diversity. Um, We have diversity in our church of ages. We've got young, we've got old, and we've got everyone in between. Um, we've got differences in race and culture in our church. Um, we've got differences of worldview. Um, so let's take a recent one. We've got vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, and this can create significant friction. So we have these differences in our worldviews. Uh, we've got significant differences in our background and our experiences growing up. Um, we have rich and poor in our midst. Um, and we, you know, even down to the simple things like difference in interests and personality, um, those often when we in relationships can be, you know, can make relationships challenging. Um, so, you know, I want to just, you know, sometimes maybe if you're a new Christian or if you come new into a church, you can have this um, idealistic idea that because we're all Christians, it's going to be really easy for us to be all just one warm, you know, huggy, lovey family. But the reality is, is that it can often be really difficult um, because of all these differences. So it doesn't always happen naturally, and it takes um, a lot of conscious effort for us to love each other given all these differences, but it also we can't do it in our own strength. So if we look at true love as, as God, you know, as God uh, sees it and as, as the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
that true love we cannot do in and of ourselves. We can only do that as God empowers us and as God enables us. Um, and a lot of that, it, it also takes us to step outside of our own comfort zones and to step si- outside of our own selfishness. So in and of ourselves, apart from God, uh, we are inherently and naturally selfish. And we tend to, even in our relationships, apart from God, that's often what comes out. You know, we go into relationships, what can I get out of it? You know, that's often our sinful human nature apart from God. In the same way, if we come into church, um, apart from God's restoring uh, work and, and sanctifying work within us, we, we often come to church with that same attitude with, what can I get out of church and what can I get out of the relationships rather than, than the selfless approach of coming in and saying, well, how can I love those around me in the church? Um, so, um, you know, if we look at, um, again, the, the, this text and how we are so similar often to, to the Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul thinks, talks about the extreme here in the Corinthian church of how there was some people that the Corinthians thought were less honorable. And what's interesting is that it's not that they, those people were less honorable, it's that the Corinthians thought they were less honorable. And I think for the same way, um, for us in church, um, we're often guilty of that. In our own pride, and I'm guilty of this myself, I can sometimes see other people as less honorable than myself. Um, and that might be people who are maybe um, not as wealthy as us, it might be people that are, in our eyes, not as successful in the worldly sense. Um, I know for us, um, as men particularly, but I think probably equally for women, you know, if you look at the worldly way, we judge everyone by how successful they are. And you kind of put people on a, on a ladder. You know, people that are more successful than you, we often tend to be intimidated by them. And often people that we see in the worldly sense as being less successful in our, than ourselves, we in a, in a way of pride, kind of look down on them. Um, so I think we too, and I myself certainly, am personally guilty of often seeing other people as less honorable than myself. Uh, I mean, right down to the most um, basic thing, and, and it's sad to say, but sometimes we might just look at people, and I sometimes do, sorry, I'm just confessing here, and I might just say, hey, these people are just not as cool as me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We just look at some people and we go, that person's just not cool. And uh, we look down on them because of it. Um, so this is, this is in our human sinful nature. This is, this is some of the stuff that we do. Sorry, I'm really outing myself there. Um, because I am just so cool, you know. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I mean, I just embody coolness. Um, and then I think also... Um, there, there's an idiom in, in the world, and, that, and the idiom is um, that birds of a feather flock together. And I think that often, um, either consciously or subconsciously, uh, we live out our relationships in that way. And we sometimes, because it's our comfort zone, we tend just to hang with the birds of a feather, the people that are like us uh, in, in, in different ways. Um, but... I think what we see here in the book of Corinthians is that this is not what God wants for us as a church. God has ordained diversity in the church, as we've read here in the book of of, of Corinthians. And not just has he ordained diversity in the church, 
but he wants us to break out beyond that birds of a feather, and he wants us to have meaningful relationship with one another, um, despite all of those differences. So Ali is going to come and give us some practical guidelines on how we can do that as a church. Now that the level of cool has been dropped so low. <laughs> Hi, good morning, everybody. Um, when, when I first started preparing for this, I had the famous Maya Angelou quote. You know that one about people will forget what you said and what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. So I scrapped the first two lots of what I did because you would all feel really bad about yourselves. And I think this is one of the things is there is a tendency when you speak on this. It's like, well, you haven't done this and you haven't done that. And because you weren't warm and welcoming, so-and-so didn't stay in the church. And that's you know, that's, that's not what I want to do now. And it's a hard one, this, because it is putting yourself out there. Um, when, when I first married Johannes, my family didn't entertain. They had, the, they had very close friends, but they never had guests around. Johannes's family always had people in their home. And I remember the first dinner party that I that I did. And oh my word, it was the planning was incredible. And it was close friends of ours as well. And I was so nervous. Um, and one of the friends afterwards, I think the food was actually quite nice. Um, but he, but he said to me, he says, Ali, this is a friend of ours, Phil Cunningham, Joel's uncle. And he just said, Ali, if people remember the food, it wasn't such a great evening. And I was like, and it took me a while to understand what he was saying, is that actually it's how we make people feel. And I think this is where we go so wrong with this warm and welcoming, is that we're so busy trying to get everything right. Do you know what I mean? Trying to, no, we're not going to invite you around because the house is not clean. The kids might not behave. My cooking skills are not great. All these excuses we make, and it's, so, and it's our pride. It really is. So much of it is our pride. And what I've realized is that when we actually just think about how we feel and what would make us feel welcome. We're not, I know we are different, we're diverse, but at the root core of all of us, we all want to belong. We all want to be accepted and we all want to be loved. And I don't think there's a person in the world who doesn't have that. And so that is really the heart of warm and welcoming is how would you like to feel? So I want you all to think about the first time you went somewhere. So be it the first time you came to church, first time you went to school, vast year, whatever, that thing where you arrive at a place and you don't know anyone and you're not cool. Um, <laughs> you think you might. And if you're anything like me, Johannes goes into himself, I become the class clown. So I'm now the over-talkative, I've got all the funny stories, the exaggeration goes through the roof and you all, you know, every, you just want people to like you. Um, but I want you to think about that time and then realize that what would make you feel special? And this is the beauty of all different bodies. So I'm an extrovert. Johannes is an introvert. We have, we, but we manage to connect with people in a beautiful way because we all, everyone's different. And so there's someone for everybody. But sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone and we need to engage with the person who's not like us. Um, so I'm going to ask you all just now to actually look around the room. So that I'm giving you a warning for those of you who this is like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, all the introverts, you go, oh, what's she going to make me do? The egg of doesn't 
it di- I haven't told you, you're all waiting. Huh? <laughs> um, this love, we can try and manufacture it ourselves for a certain time. But when it comes, and that's fine when it's birds of a feather. You can pretty much wing it if it's birds of a feather. But when it's people who, you, good, did you scatch them? <laughs> uh, that was un- unintended. Um, but when it's people who are different, when it's someone who actually may have even offended you, where it's someone who is really in your face or just so different to you, that love, you really, it needs to come from a source. So what I was feeling on this whole thing, I was going to give you, there was three pages of do's and don'ts, and those went out the window. And the greatest thing I think of all of this is that this is the overflow of what's inside of us. And if we feel and if we know that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we are chosen, that we belong to God's family, that we are his children, the overflow of that will be making other people feel that way. And that comes from the time that we spend with God every day. It's Lord Who am I? Who is my identity? When we know who we are, we don't have to pretend and try and be someone else when we go into a crowded room. We can just be who God says that we are. So, and when we come to church, that is where it's so hard because the world tells us that if we don't love ourselves, if we are not feeling fulfilled, we, how on earth can we love others? And I just so disagree with that. When I married Johannes, my sister and brother-in-law said to me, if you want to have a good marriage, you must put him, you must make his happiness must be your priority. And the world tells us, no, you've, if I'm happy, then I'll make my partner happy. And it's not true. It's if we're living to make others happy, the byproduct of that will be that we will be happy. If we're living to bless others, we will be blessed. So when we come on a Sunday morning, it's hard because you haven't seen people for a while. You want to catch up. You want to chat. But we need to be looking outwards. We're coming here on a Sunday to worship our God, to have corporate fellowship, to come under the word, um, and to love one another. And it's not so much about my needs. It's about what we can do for one another. It's all the one another's, and it's for our God. And the beauty is, is that when we come with that motive in mind, we will be blessed. But if we come thinking, is someone going to speak to me? Am I going to enjoy the worship? And, sorry, I'm getting onto the, I'm knocking you, making you all feel bad. Um, the, it's the alternative of it. It doesn't often go well because we're focusing so much on ourselves. And when we look outward and we focus on others, we are blessed. Um, Right now, I've completely lost my notes because I have, I have really ad-libbed this. Um, the other thing as well is, is the thing on me is that it becomes, our comfort becomes an idol. So it's not easy. Like right now, and I don't know where they're sitting, but I spotted Nigel and um, Claire Huff coming in. So I would like all of you to, find, to just now ask God, who can I go in this room and talk to who I've never spoken to before? And trust me, you will all find someone here that you've never spoken to before. You will, all of you. Now, in my heart of hearts, all I really want to do is go and say hello to the Huffs because I haven't seen them since we left Zimbabwe. But I know them, so I'm going to try and find someone I don't know. But it's just a practice. Don't, 
don't rush into, into this whole thing. I've, I've digressed. When we married, oh, sorry. Um, I didn't like hospitality. I didn't like having people around. I was scared of it. And I remember Josh and Sandy Fisher asking me to do the welcoming desk, and I said, I'll clean the toilets. Please let me clean the toilets. And I realized, God in his mercy, he doesn't leave us where we are. If you say, I'll never do that, oh boy, that's it. Wait, not a second you'll be running that ministry. But it's just, it's one of those things. Because whenever you say never, I think God kind of sees it as a bit of a challenge. It's like, oh really? Oh really? And it just slowly started, God started breaking my heart, molding my heart to the point now where we can have 30 people in our house for a meal and it doesn't bother me. But then this year we had a bit of a challenge. Poor Rebecca got the end of it. It was like, come and stay with us. We were like, no, but we don't have people stay with us. You know, you can come and have lunch at our house and you can maybe stay for three days, but live with us. And then it was like, yeah. You bless you, Rebecca. Rebecca was used because then it's like, well, now she's gone. Now we've got another girl. And it's just this thing of if, if the, you've got to open our hearts, open ourselves to what God wants to do. And it all comes from time with him where he's growing us and he's molding us and he's breaking us. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And he's shaping us. But he wants to love us so much because he wants us to love others. And that's what we want in this church. And it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be days where you just think, oh, not me today, Lord, not me. But it is a good thing to do. Um, I won't do the Matthew five forty-seven. or I will. It says, you know, even the pagans speak to their own friends. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a low blow. If you want to feel really bad... You can the people, especially the ones who are very good, are actually introverts. Um, they're not extroverts. And it's, it's the thing of it, it's the heart. It's when someone comes here and you've remembered their name and you've made an effort and you've in- shown, shown interest in someone, that's what people really want. And we're all part of a family. And all of us think about our families. Some of us have got great families. Some of us may not have great families. But one thing we all have in common is that great families or any families, they need work. They don't just happen. Our family doesn't just get together for reunions because we all get on so well. We're all very, very different. A reunion requires huge amounts of effort and thought as to how everybody can come in. And these are, Johannes is one of four, but all very, very, very different, very different families of their own. And so we're intentional about what will bless every person so that when they come, they can feel relaxed, they can feel safe. And when they feel that way, then it goes well. And it's intentionality in all of our families. And so that's what I would love for our church, is that we are intentional about this. Um, So... The one other, sorry, one other thing I really wanted to also say is that sometimes we come to church and we think the church is going to be where we're going to get our social. And that's not always very easy. There's a lot of people here. There's a great leadership team. And there are a lot of people that will try. But if you really want to be part of this family, if you really want to be known and cared for in a meaningful way, we so encourage everyone to be part of a life group. 
And again, it's not always so convenient. And again, it might not always be people that you would know. I look at our life group. We are an, a, a wide range of age groups. Um, there's some single people. There's, cup, there's couples. There's couples with children. There's quite a few divorced people. We are an incredibly mixed bunch. But what a sweet I mean, you, you just we're an, We are quite an unusual bunch. But it's so sweet because everyone comes with something special. So I'd, first of all, I'd like all our life group leaders, please could you stand up? It's that embarrassing. Right. So we have got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten life groups. So these are the people that lead life groups. Mandy and Nathan are not here, and theirs happens to be the biggest life group. Um, so they're on, yeah, they, they, sorry, well, no, we're always saying there's always room for more, just not in Mandy and Nathan's life group. <laughs> <laughs> but there is always room for more because the idea is if these groups grow, then they can split and multiply. And then we can have more groups. So, Charles, Charles over there has a group of young people. Anyone who's not in a life group, please contact Charles. There's these forms over here that you can go and get from the table over there if you're not part of a life group. Daniel and Kendra, they have a adult, young adult life group. They're over there. Guy and Beth, students, but quite mature students. Hey, hey, yeah, very mature. Oh. <laughs> Beth would like a friend, okay? <laughs> Female friend. Jack and Megan, they're students. Johannes and I, we are multi-generational. Anyone can come. We're the cool group. <laughs> Kevin and Megan, Kev's on, yes, there's Kevin, there's Megan. They are young adults and students. It's a mixture of everything. No, don't you? Okay. We're, they all grew up. See, like a good family, they grew up. Nathan and Mandy, they are young adults. Um, Scott, Christian, Lindsay, and Hannah, they are a student group. Stefan and Sharon, they're an extra special group because they are multi-generational and they are in Somerset West. <laughs> so there you go. We have many people that come through from Somerset West and they have started a life group there and it's just wonderful. So it is in your own town. And then Warren and Karen, they have just started the family group. Um, And when I say family, this is proper family. This is little people. So they, the children get a lesson. It's family eating together. So it's early so that your children aren't tired and cranky. It's very, very, very special. So if you've got young children and you would like to be part of a life group, Warren and Karen. And they are very cool. Yeah. Okay, thanks, guys. Please sit down. All right, so now we're gonna, I'm going to use a Hillsong um, line, which Johanna said I'm never allowed to use, but I love it. It's called Minute to Mingle. So <laughs> they have very catchy things at Hillsong. <laughs> That's it. I've been banned by the eldership to ever say it again. But I really would encourage you, maybe just sit quietly and just say, Lord, who is it that I must go and say hello to? The one thing I've also learned is don't go and say to someone, are you new here? That is not a good thing. It's like saying to a lady, are you pregnant? And she's just ate too many chocolate Easter eggs, which is, you know, it's, a, it's the biggest thing is, who are you? What would you like someone to ask you? What question would make you feel weird? Then don't ask that to them. 
You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing. And I have to tell you another funny story. Scott, last week, he said that I went over and above. I was trying to look up someone's name because I really wanted to remember this lady's name. And um, I just happened to glance on the sheet. And there was another family that had come the week before. And for some strange reason, I seemed to kind of photographically memorize every detail about their family. And then when they arrived, I said, welcome. And I knew their surname. And then I said to the husband, sorry, I don't know your name. And then I greeted the children by name. And then I greeted the mother by name. And then I even dropped the fact that I knew their children's birth date. Well, I don't know whether they'll ever come back again. So so that was, Scott was like, Ali, that was just, that was stalkerish. You just, (laughs) so we all make mistakes and we're never going to get it right. And fortunately, God is in control, and he knows who's part of this family and who wants to be here. So I think this is the other thing, is that let's just get over ourselves a little bit, maybe make a mistake, um, but let's just try and start finding people in this family that we don't know. And let's go over the generations. There's not many of us, and I'm looking at one of my, my dearest, dearest friends, not many of us over the age of 50 in this, in this church. It can get really lonely. It can. But the thing is, is that we haven't really changed. Our bodies have changed, but we're still quite young at heart. We're very cool. <laughs> um, but some of my greatest friendships in this church have been with young girls in their 20s, and I have been blessed beyond measure by friendships with younger people. I look at our eldership team, um, much younger than us, but what a blessing, incredible friendships. And so I also encourage you to go across the divides. Don't just stick with your own demographic. Don't stick with your own age group. I do think you should maybe stick with your own sex kind of thing. It's not so cool to be, yeah, I mean, we can still be friends, but you understand. Um, Sorry. There's quite a lot of medication in my body, which is probably speaking through. Um, anyway, but please just think about it. Let's, let's make friends. Some of the older ladies, they want to have a cup of coffee with you. They want to find out about your studies. Remember, for many of them, their children have left now. You don't have moms and dads here, students. You don't have aunties. You don't have that person that you can say, I really want to go for a cup of coffee. Or, what do you think about this outfit? Or... You know, or any, and you think of your favorite aunt or your favorite uncle, that person that when you want to go for a run with or you want to do something with, there's people in this congregation that can fill that role for you, that can fill that gap for you. So, it's a minute to mingle. One time and one time only. We will call it something different. So can I encourage you to go and find someone? And then just, it's not a long time. It literally will only be a short time, maybe name or whatever. And then afterwards, I'd love us all to come back to our seats. And actually, no, on your way back, get your communion. And then come and sit down in your seats. And I'd love us this Sunday to do communion all together. One body eating this this body and this blood that was broken for all of us as one family, all together, because that's what we are. And that's my, our desire as eldership and wives, is that we will be a family where you are known, you are loved, and others, when they come in here, say, this is where I really want to be. I can grow here. God can use me. That's it. Okay. On your marks, get set, mingle.